Welcome to another Calvary Baltimore B-Side with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. B-Sides are a companion to the weekly sermon, giving an in-depth look behind the teaching. And now with running commentary to complement this week's sermon, here's Pastor Josh. Welcome to uh, B-Sides. We are in Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 through 11 today. Uh, we have some some fun stuff to look at uh, that I think is fun anyways. Um, just a reminder, we have Harford, we have a Harford County Bible study tonight uh, in Bel Air. Uh, we're going to post all that information on Faith Life. If you uh, would like information, you could go there. If you can't find it, you can always just message me on on uh, on Facebook, iMessage, and I'll try to get back to you as quick as I can. Uh, so with that, uh, why don't we jump right in uh, to verse eight? We have some cool stuff. I I think uh, for this study. Uh, so Revelation 10, verse 8, Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. I will, it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told you must prophesy again about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Let's pray real quick. God, we we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask that you would open this text up to us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Guide and direct us in this and help it to permeate our soul and transform us by the renewing of our minds. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, today's few verses really pulls from three different passages of Scripture, believe it or not, this little tiny section here. Uh, on Sunday, I, I spent a lot of time talking about the connection to Numbers 5. I was really excited to talk about the connection to Numbers 5 uh, because... Because uh, it's just one of those passages of scriptures that I think most people get to and go, I don't understand what's <laughs> happening here. So that was really fun. But we have two other uh, portions of scripture that this this passage is drawing from that I think is going to be really helpful uh, for us to look at here. So the first one is from Ezekiel, and then the, the last one we'll look at is from Jeremiah. So the three texts... Uh, in this passage are from Numbers 5, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. So our first is from Ezekiel chapter 2, starting at verse 8. And we're going to read all the way to chapter 3, verse 15. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. And this is God speaking to Ezekiel. He's about to give him a prophecy. And be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth uh, and repeat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. I hope you see the connection here. And he spread it before me, it's opened, and it had write, a writing on the front and on the back. And there were words, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. 
eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And of course, um, here's Ezekiel and he opens his mouth. There's in the book of Revelation, John takes the scroll and Ezekiel, he engages in opening his mouth. Uh, and he gave me the scroll to eat it. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. I, I can't figure out if Ezekiel took the scroll and put it in his mouth or the, 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 he was fed. Either way, there was a participation element here. And he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. So these texts are so connected, and we see that Ezekiel's is directly connected to the household of Israel, which makes us wonder, is John's prophecy in Revelation chapter 10? Uh, Ezekiel uh, 3 verse 5, For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Again, not too many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose word you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. So pause. God is drawing from what, Ezekiel, what he had Ezekiel do in the ministry of John here in Revelation chapter 10. And the connection is this. This message that is about to go forth will be received by a hard-hearted people who will not listen. We're going to see in chapter 11, the two witnesses, they're going to go out and preach to a hard-hearted, st hard-headed, stubborn people. So I think the connection is the same here. Verse 8. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. But God will make his, so God's going to make his servant equally stubborn, but towards God's glory. Verse 9, like emery, uh, emery harder, harder than flint, have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks. For they are a rebellious house. And if we kept reading in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 3.14, Ezekiel, like John, was made bitter in himself because of the hard reading, uh, uh, the hard-heartedness of the people. They will reject the honey and thus come, thus come under the judgment and the wrath. So God had John eat the scroll to draw to our remembrance the story of Ezekiel. And as we remember the story of Ezekiel, specifically the account of Ezekiel eating the scroll, we are clued as to how this message is going to receive. If God is building in, in Revelation 10 upon Ezekiel chapter 2 and 3, that tells us that this word is going to be received by a hard-headed, stubborn-hearted people. So this will not be received well if God is building uh, upon Ezekiel 2 and 3, which, as we're going to read, that's exactly what happened uh, over the coming weeks. Our second scripture, and then we're going to read this, and then we're going to connect them. Our second scripture is from the book of Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah chapter 15, starting at verse 15. But first, coffee break. Oh, man. It's so good. Jeremiah 15, 15. 
But you, O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me, take uh, stand, take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them. Ah. And your words became to me joy. It was sweet. Uh, and, and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revilers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, uh, for you had filled me with uh, indignation. You know, there, there's, a, there's a standing here, there's a walking here, there's a sitting here. I can't help but to think this is drawing upon Psalm 1. Uh, the, the righteous does not sit, stand, or walk with the ungodly. And, and maybe that's in the background here, I don't know. Uh, just caught that. Uh, verse 18. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? So if he is drawing upon Psalm 1, he is thou saying, shouldn't I be like a tree planted by streams of water? Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you. And you shall stand before me if you utter what is precious and not what is worthless. You shall be as my mouth, and they shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. So again, there's, there's, an, eating of, uh, there's an eating of God's word, and now there's a hardness. There's a, there's a resolve, there's a strength against a stubborn people. But they shall not prevail over you, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. Revelation 10 seems to be drawing also from the book of Jeremiah as it is Numbers and Ezekiel. And what the connection in Jeremiah and Ezekiel uh, seem to be saying is that the restoration of Israel is coming. If God is building upon these two texts, which seems to be pretty clear, then the context of both of, the, both of those is, is the hard reception of this word. Now, right now, Israel, in, in, at this time, in the end times, in the book of Revelation, is in stomach pain. They have rejected the sweet words of the Messiah. But verse 19, as Jeremiah said, if they would return, God will restore them. And through this word, uh, though this word will be rejected at first, if Israel would return, they would be restored. There's the promise. And as we will see towards the end of the book, Israel will be forsaken. Uh, well, as we see towards the end of Revelation, sorry, excuse me. Israel will forsake the worthless and return to Jesus as Lord. And they will be restored just like as promised in Jeremiah 15. And he will be their God and they will be his people. And many, you have to understand, many in the church disagree with what I just said. <laughs> There's a lot of people who do not see the restoration of Israel in the scriptures. So may, maybe I'm wrong. But it's pretty clear to me that the Jewish people will reject Jesus uh, 
in the last days for a time. But in the end, as the prophet Zechariah recorded, as Paul talks about, they will eventually look on whom they had pierced and would be saved. And eventually there will be a national turning from the, uh, from the Jewish people back to Jesus as the Messiah. Now, this is really important to me because before we keep going, I want to talk about the historical positions church leaders have taken in regards to Israel in the last days. And I think this is important because as I've really gotten outside of my little evangelical bubble and I'm looking at what Episcopals and Presbyterians and Catholics and Methodists and uh, Baptists and Preterists and Amillennialists, and I, I, I'm now looking at what all these other faith groups within side Christendom uh, uh, believe. I, one of the things that I see is that I, I'm being, I'm reading, I'm being told that the belief in Israel being restored in the last days is a modern invention. That's false. Now that's a problem to me because I don't want to get caught up in some false movement. If God doesn't have plans to restore Israel, I just want to be on the side of truth, even if that means my ideas are punctured. And I'm told that what I believe about Israel being restored in the last days, though I see it over and over and over again in the scriptures, I'm being told that that's not the historical view of the church, and that I am holding a false modern interpretation um, uh, in my eschatology, in the study of the end times. Um Yet, <laughs> digging around church history, I, I don't find that to be entirely true. W what I believe about Israel being restored in the last days is not a modern invention. That's that's just not true. Uh, now, there is true that there's a ton of anti-Semitism in the church through the last 2,000 years. And it's true that God, as we look plainly in the scriptures, that God had judged the Jewish people and placed his favor primarily on the Gentiles. That That's true. You can't get past that, reading the Bible honestly. But to say that God will never pour his spirit out upon the Jewish people in the last day, and that's the historical view, that that's what 99.999% of all pastors and theologians believe, is just not accurate. Uh, so I want to I go through some important church figures here and show you that that's just not the historical position. And, and if you believe that Israel will be reinstated in the last days, this is really important for you to know that we're just not making this up <laughs> in this last days to fit some narrative or hope. Um, John Calvin, I'm just going to go right to Calvin. Um, in his commentary on, Re on Romans 11, verses 25 through 26, noted that, quote, when the Gentiles shall come in, the Jews shall also Shall, the, the Jews also shall return from their defection to the obedience of faith. That's John Calvin saying the same thing I'm saying here. And I'm told, Cal, you know, Calvin, this guy, there's Calvin on it. Justin Martyr from 150 AD said Israel would be restored because of the text in Isaiah, I mean in Zechariah. Tertullian in 200 said it would, quote, it would be fitting for the Christian to rejoice and not to grieve at the restoration of Israel. 
if it be true, as it is, that the whole of our hope is uh, uh, intimately united with the remaining expectation of Israel. <laughs> There's the patristic fathers, the early fathers, even though Israel was totally decimated. The earliest guys are going, oh, Israel's coming back. Now, St. Augustine, <laughs> uh, or Augustine, however you pronounce, which pronunciation you like, but I say Augustine, said, quote, It is a familiar theme in the conversation and hearts of the faithful that in the last days before the judgment, the Jews shall believe in the true Christ. There's Augustine, who's really push the, this amillennialism upon church history for over a thousand years. And then Luther, who reformed the church uh, in 1517, or, you know, around then, um, he was an Augustinian monk. And so he he took amillennialism with him from the Catholic Church, but even Augustine believed that Israel would be reinstated. Aquinas, who's a big, making a big resurgence right now, uh, he believed Israel would be reinstored. Matthew Henry, the Puritan, believed that Israel would be restored. Jonathan Edwards, maybe the greatest theologian since John Calvin, said, quote, The Jews and all of their dispersion shall cast away their old infidelity and shall have their hearts wonderfully changed and abhor themselves for their past unbelief and obstinacy. They shall flow together to the blessed Jesus, penitently, humbly, and joyfully, owning him as their glorious king and only savior, and shall with all their hearts as one heart and voice declare his praises unto the na uh, other nations. Nothing is more certainly foretold than this national conversion of the Jews in Romans 11. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, my hero, said, quote, I think we do not attach sufficient importance to the restoration of the Jews. We do not think it en uh, enough of it, but certainly if there is anything promised in the Bible, it is this. <laughs> in the end uh, of the day, when we look at what these faithful men have taught, God's faithful servants typically, unless there's some theology in there that prevents them from conceding it, but typically God's faithful servants at the end of the day rejoice that God will restore the Jewish people at the very end. And so here's my point. As we get to the middle, to the end of the book of Revelation, we're going to see a lot about Israel. We're going to see a lot about Israel. And I can't help but to take that and not place some sort of doctrine over it, but to read it as it is, that God has a plan for the nation state of Israel, and he will pour his spirit out upon them uh, in the last days. Now that being said, back to our, our, our study here, as we connect Revelation with Jeremiah and Ezekiel uh, with our lives, what we need to see is that regardless of how the word of God is received, either positively or negatively, that does not stop God from advancing the kingdom of heaven. Rain or shine, revival or rebellion, God's kingdom marches on. God's will be done. And the hard-heartedness of man, the hard-headedness of man, is ultimately no real threat or obstacle. And God's messengers 
regardless of how the word is received, as we see in Ezekiel, as we see in Jeremiah, as we're going to see here in, in Revelation 10, regardless of how the message is received, God's messengers must keep prophesying and preaching and witnessing, regardless of the outcome. And for 2,000 years thus far, the Jewish people have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. But eventually, God will bring them back. They have been hard-headed and hard-hearted, but God will raise up wave after wave of hard-headed and hard-hearted missionaries. And eventually, through the preaching of the word, Eventually, God will pour his spirit upon them in these last days, whenever that occurs. And there will be a national repentance and mourning, and they will look on him whom they have pierced. They will recognize Jesus as the Messiah. It's coming. The church is, you can, I just read it to you. And a really cool footnote here to me is that in this Ezekiel 3 text, I love what it says. Uh, it's Ezekiel 3, 7. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart, behold, I have made your faces as hard as their faces and your foreheads as hard as their foreheads. <laughs> I love that God says that he will harden uh, godly, and, and, and in our context, Christian men and women in righteousness and godliness. Did you know that God gifts hard heads? <laughs> That's just something we don't think about, is it? Is it? It's just that's something we typically uh, would associate with a gift from God, hard-headedness. What we see here really cool is that stubbornness isn't necessarily a sin. And here in Jeremiah, God's, God gifts stubbornness to his people for his glory. You know, I'm just so tickled that, that, that a gift from God can be a hard head. <laughs> you know, I look at my boys, my boys, and I don't know if it's all children, but my children sometimes can be rather stubborn. And I'm frequently reminded uh, and encouraged that if God captures them, that will be a gift. They will be resolved men of conviction and will not be like the wicked who are like chaff, who are blown by the wind. They will be trees rooted and fixed by streams of water, Psalm 1. This is a gift from God to be hard-headed. Now, and it could also be a gift from Satan, as we see here, or a curse, rather. Now, one last thought before we close. Revelation 10's, 10 ends with John's order to prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Earlier in this book, we saw that God had saved people from all tribes and all nations and all languages. Yet, as we read on, these groups not yet in heaven will reject Jesus and align themselves with the beast and with Babylon. But, but even though people from all over the world are going to reject God, what we see here is that God still gives the message. God raises up messengers to give messages to people he know will not receive it. But why does God do this? And the answer is because God desires all to be saved. 
A passage that comes to mind is Romans 1.20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God desires all to be saved. And if you're going to reject them, you're going to reject them without an excuse. No one's going to stand before God one day and not know better. What we can see here is that much of the world is going to choose Satan in the last day over God. They're not going to rally behind Jesus Christ. They're going to rally behind the Antichrist. And that these people who rally behind the man of perdition, these people are going to be cast into the lake of fire with him. But what we can also see is that many from all tribes and all nations and all languages are going to stand before God in judgment day, one day, and will be without an excuse. God from age unto age has faithfully raised up faithful witnesses to bring forth the world to a lost and dying world. And as we will read in chapter 11, God will continue to do so in, uh, up until the very end. And so circling back to Israel here as we, as we close, just a final thought. As we will see in the book of Revelation moving forward, God is going to send new witnesses and crush the wicked. All to return and establish, return and establish his people once again in the millennium kingdom, the millennial kingdom. So this proclamation of the word will be met by resistance but will also be used to redeem many of the lost. And if I can elevator pitch this whole time together today, it's that there is going to be mass rejection of God's word and mass rejection of God's witnesses. But in the end, the kingdom comes goes marching on. And as Satan raises up hard-hearted people, God, our hard-headed people, so will God. He will raise up hard-headed, godly people. And we will be stubborn and resolved and fixed to obey our master no matter the cost. Though they slay us, we will march on. But eventually, and this is the beautiful part, eventually... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Eventually, God will pour his spirit out upon the Jewish people. Eventually, heaven will be filled with all kinds of people from all nations, from all ages, from all, all seasons. They will be there. They will be in heaven. God, God, God's going to win as, as the church goes marching on. And whether... Whether our message, whether our faithfulness is received or not, that's not our business. We're just told to give the word. It's God's word to grow, grow fruit from it. We just need to be faithful in what he's given us. And he'll take care of the rest. So with that, let's, let's pray. God, we love you. We, we praise you. We thank you. We ask that you would be with us this week. We ask that you would guide us this week. We ask that you would bless us tremendously now. Um, God, we thank you for this word. We, we thank you for all that you've given us. And we ask that you would send us out in power now to be faithful witnesses. 
God, we ask for godly hard-headedness. <laughs> Help us to be resolved to glorify you in all things, whatever we, whatever we eat, whatever we drink, whatever we do. Make us resolve, God, to do it all to your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. We love you and we thank you. Amen. I love you guys. Have a good day. I'll see you Sunday. Thanks for joining us for this Calvary Baltimore B-Side. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, our website is calvarychapelbaltimore.org. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore B-Side.